Philippians, the third chapter, and we're going to begin reading in the third verse, and we'll read several verses here. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. And he's talking about believers, and when people get saved, there's a removal of sin, of the sinful nature. And he said, we are the ones who worship God in the Spirit, and we rejoice in Christ Jesus if we feel like it. Well, I just thought I'd throw that in. Because sometimes people think you got to feel it, but we just do it. And the feelings will follow. You with me? And then it goes on to say, isn't that true with sin? Just, it works both ways. Meaning if I know I shouldn't do that, but then I have no real feelings, then I go do it. Then I'm like, yuck. They always seem to follow, don't they? And then we drag that around. We think, ah, why did I do that? And then we don't get it by being tempted. We get it by the action. Well, you could be prompted to praise the Lord, but it's when you respond to him that things begin to happen because the things follow our actions. And so here Paul is writing this, and he said, we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, as we read this going on, when he talks about confidence in the flesh, and we talked about this a little bit last week, it's not by our good works. It's not by our good actions. And so he said, listen, I worship God, I rejoice in Christ, and I have no confidence in the flesh. Or, in other words, my standing with God and where I'm going with God is not based on my perfection and all my perfectness when it comes to the rules set up under religion. Notice this, verse 4. He said, though I also may have confidence in the flesh. He said, we're not to have confidence in this. And he said, now I've got a reason to have confidence in this. That's what he's saying. Listen, we're not to have confidence in in these rules making us right with God, making us accepted with God. And he said, we're not. And then he said, now I'm a good example of this. You ready? He said this. He said, for though I also might have confidence in the flesh or in my actions according to the law, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh or because of their good actions, God will have to favor them. He said, I'm more. He said, I could beat you. And you know what's really cool? He's about to give a list of how he said, I could beat you. I could beat you. I can prove to you by following all the laws and the rule, I'll beat you. I'm better. Because I lived a certain way, I'm better. That's just it. But remember what he started saying, I don't have confidence in this. And so he's basically going to knock the table out from under everybody else who has confidence because he's going to show, if anybody has a right to have confidence, I do. In my good works, my actions that are going to make me go somewhere with God, and, they're going to, and therefore God's going to have to favor me and do something in my life, and I'm going to have to have something because of it. Notice what he said. He said, I have, I have more works than you. Then he goes through this list. Circumcise the eighth day. That was like the right thing for a young male under the Jewish law. 
of the stock of Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm of the covenant. Then he said of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, he was one that obtained. He said concerning the law, he said, I was a Pharisee. That's one of the most religious sects. In other words, these people were over the top and everybody knew it. In other words, if they had a problem, like, and they didn't want to lust after a girl or something like that or have a bad thought, they were so religious about it, they would sometimes not look or close their eyes and hit a wall. But he, I mean, you know, that, we could probably use some of that today, but that's a different story. Not hitting the wall, but, you know, closing the eyes or something. But they were so religious about it, they didn't want to break any laws. So when he said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees or Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I, according to these different things, I have this, basically, you would say, pedigree. He said, I'm a Pharisee concerning zeal or being really what we would say today on fire and active in our faith. He was was so active in this Jewish faith, which, you know, if you know the Jewish faith, you're not supposed to have any other idols. There's not supposed to be any false gods. Nothing's allowed to creep in. And and you're to defend the homeland, Israel, from all this junk. Because if you read the history of the children of Israel, they would let stuff in. And then they would start worshiping false gods. So anything that's false, I mean, a Pharisee is going to stand against it. So he said, listen, I've got this pedigree. And he said, I was a Pharisee. And he said, and concerning zeal, having zest to follow after, he said, I was persecuting the church. He was attacking us, Christians. Because why? We're believing something false to him. So he's just coming against it. He's so zealous, he's making a stand. And then it goes on to say, concerning righteousness or being right in the sight of God by doing good things, which is according to the law, he said, I was blameless. I followed it all. So he's just telling people, if you think you got it because you've got all these good works, I'm better. And he said, and I have no confidence in all these In other words, what he's saying is, though I've got all this stuff, this is not where I put my confidence. This is not where I place and rely or lean my ladder, so to speak. You know, if you lean your ladder against something, you want it to stand. And he said, I don't lean my ladder, my confidence, against this stuff. Then he said, verse 7, here's where I wanted to get to. But what things were gained to me? And if we want to live our life, we have to have this same kind of mentality. He said, what things were gained to me? These were all gain in this society, in this day and age. These were the things that if you were to attain to anything, you wanted to attain to this. And, uh, and we have things that people want to attain to in society. Whether it's cool friends, different activities, it matters not. There's things in different societies that people want to attain to. And so he said this. He said, but what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He said, I counted them loss. And then it goes on to say some other things, but notice when he said, I counted them loss. That's past tense. 
when he received Christ, he had to gather up all the stuff that he was relying on with his own life and in his own self. All these rules, all these different activities, whatever they were, whatever the hobby was, and he added them up and he counted them. And he counted them as loss. He realized that these have something. And he started weighing them out. You know what I mean by that? Like he, you know, have you ever gone to buy something and you kind of added it up and went, okay, um, I can afford to do this. What he did was he did that in his own life, but he just knew the value of all these things. And then he considered and counted it up and said, I choose to lose these things and forget them. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss. But here's the thing, not just loss, because we don't want to just weigh up things and go, okay, I'm going to get rid of them in my life. He said it was loss for Christ. Showing that to walk and to come to know Christ, you're going to have to give up your life. And what's interesting is, he said, I counted. Not I'm counting, I've counted. What was he saying? For him to come to know Christ and to get born again and to become a child of God, he was going to have to leave everything that said, this makes you this type of person. Because it wasn't making him that. And he said, I'm going to have to not trust in that anymore. And he received Christ. Counted it all loss. So now he knows Christ. And now he's walking with the Lord. So really what he does is he goes through a progression. Anybody who's going to come to know the Lord and really walk with him has to count things as rubbish, as loss. In other words, I'm going to give that up to go to him. I'm going to have to not rely on myself anymore and, you know, because people do it all the time. Well, God will have to let me into heaven. You know all the good things I do. You know, I do this and I do that and I've done this and I do that. Paul said, forget it. I've done better than you. Somebody said, yeah, but he'd kill the church. But under his religious thing, that was cool. Think about it. There's Muslims today. They think they're doing God a favor by killing people. For them to come to Christ, they're going to have to count all that lost as a loss. We shouldn't hate them. We should just know they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Paul had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. And when he recognized and got knowledge, he added it up and said, this stuff doesn't work. And then he came to the Lord. And obviously, he had a pretty confronting experience. But then it goes on to say, verse 8, Yet indeed, I also count. If I counted and I count, that's two different things, right? I mean, if I came over here and I counted off money to you, I am counting, but when I come over to you and I start counting off money to you, I've already counted over there. I'm not doing that anymore. Now I'm counting. There's a big difference. He said, when I came to Christ, I had to count. And so he already has. So he said, I counted all these things lost. 
I gave up on this, these different ways of life. But now, he said, yet now I count. That's a current application, right? Because if I haven't done this, I'm, I could. But if I've already counted and I have finished, it would be past tense, wouldn't it? I mean, that's... I mean, I, I'm not an English major or anything, so don't look at me like I'm wrong, but doesn't that seem right to you? Counted, count. If I say count, and nobody says one, two, three, four, then I'd say, what's the matter? But somebody says, well, I'm doing it in my mind. Well, okay, then do it out loud. But that means present tense, you are, I'm hearing you Count. But if I said, do it again, and then you did it again out loud, and do it again, and, and you did it out loud, but then what if you got tired of it later on? He keeps wanting me to count, because that's present tense. So when he's talking about this, no matter where you are as a Christian, this is present tense. Somebody else could need to count what it takes to give their life to Christ. But Christians have already done that, so they've counted. But let me tell you something. There will always be opportunities that will arise that will cause internal battles in you. Once you've given your life to the Lord. They will. You will get internal battles in you. And the enemy may be promoting some, but there are different things we need to understand. And they will challenge you in this area right here. Every believer, they will challenge you in this area. Because this is an area of how you will progress or not progress. Whether you're counting properly or not. And so when he says here, he said, I counted them loss, yet, and then verse 8, he said, yet indeed, I also count all things loss. He counted, and now he, he counted, now he's counting and counts. In his life, Paul had to count again and again. He, he, he would even express when there were people who said to him, don't go further. Don't keep doing the work of God. You know, there are people that talk to him like that. He, he knew he was supposed to go to a certain place, and some Christians came and cried on his shoulder and said, don't go up there, they're going to throw you in prison. He said, I already know that. He said, the Spirit witnesses to me that in every city, bonds and afflictions await me there. He said... But I'm willing to give up my whole life for the Lord. I'm willing to die there. What was he doing? He was counting. He was counting. He didn't quit counting. He said, I'm still willing to do this. I'm still willing, after all these years, to give up my life for the Lord. So he said, I'm going. Because he was currently counting. He was counting. He kept counting. He kept counting and counting and counting. But it made for him a progressive life and a furtherance in the Lord because he weighed out in his life what it would cost. And he said, forget it. I'm paying. 
How many people will have, you know, different things in a month from now because of what they save and do? Because they count the cost, right? Some of you know because I've said this, I'm getting a new car. I'm going back to a car, getting out of the SUV. Well, I have a chunk of money in my car. So I've been counting the cost and then been saving money, so I put it down on the other one so the payment will be fairly low. Well, that being said, the other day, I, I've two or three times in prayer on Tuesdays and Fridays, I've been t- sharing some stories, you know, and stuff in, in, in a part of the time teaching, and I've talked about how God's moved on people at different times to give up stuff they were saving. And I've said, oh, Lord, are you dealing with me? <laughs> and I, I've said this after I got done. It doesn't matter if that's what you will. And, and I've checked, and I'm like, okay, whew, he hasn't. But I have thought, if he does, then I said, if you are, and I already know I'm heading down the right path, then I can give this, I could do whatever. But I, I have to count. And consider, you with me? We all do. Now, if he doesn't deal with me, I mean, I remember one time I went to go get a car. I had another car that was completely paid off. I was actually going to pay cash for the car that I was getting. I went in, this was back in California before I moved here. I had ordered this car, found this car. It was the only black on black Lexus. And... uh, I wanted it. When I moved to Arizona, I didn't want it anymore. <laughs> Dust storms and heat, and they got it right out of my system. But I had a car, and I thought, well, I could get some upgrades and do a couple things to this car. I'll just trade my other car in because I was going to pay cash for the car as upgrades. And I go in there to sign the paper, and I'm like, oh, I need to give this other car away. And I knew who to give it to. And this other person had given their life to the Lord, and they were uh, Hindu. And their family disowned them, took all their stuff from them. They were young. And the Lord dealt with me, you go give that car to them. I was like, are you sure? I mean, this isn't an imaginary thing. This isn't imagining at all. I knew it was God. And so right there to sign the car over, I'm thinking, well, how do I get my car home and the other one? Uh, which one do I leave here and come back and get? And I told him, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to trade it, and I'm not going to do that on this car, so I won't come back for those. I'll just get the car. And I was like, okay, Lord. And I, I signed, and we went out, because, you know, when the, you get the car, it's like sundown. Go out, and they have the car parked right in front. and walk. It's like, Ta-da! you know, like sun's behind it. And I walk out, and I was like, there it is. I was like, Lord, it doesn't matter the sacrifice. But I got the car. I didn't get everything else, but here we go. So I walked out, and I looked, and I was like, what in the world? So it has a sunroof, and right in front of the sunroof on both sides, it's brand new from the factory. It has two dents in it the size of softballs. And it was something that happened in the manufacturing. I looked, I thought, what is that? I said, what is that? And the guy's like, what's what? And he's like, what is that? I mean, the manager's out there. All these people are like, what's going on? And I'm thinking, well, can you fix it? And I'm thinking, I don't want them to fix it. I want a new car. So make a long story short, I got to take my old car home. And there was no cars in the valley 
in Southern California that were like that and come to find out there was one with a different kind of steering wheel but with all the added on stuff that I wanted. Called the guy, explained what happened. He said, well, I'll give it to you for that price. So I got everything I wanted and was able to still give the car away at the same price. I thought, that's a pretty good deal. But I was willing to do it beforehand. And God worked it all out. Because sometimes what we think is going to cost us isn't what's costing us. It's not pain and considering that's costing us. You with me? Those are the things that cost us. I knew you'd be excited about that. Um, so we need to consider. So verse 8, he said, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So why did he? One, he counted it lost to have Christ. Now it's not about having Christ, it's about the knowledge of Christ. And so now he's currently counting all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. So this can't be just information. It can't be information. Because would you count everything lost just for information? No, this is living truth. This is revelation. This is going to bring him into greater realities in his walk with God. So the same thing he did before in counting things lost and has counted to have Christ, now he's living a life and he's constantly counting. In other words, he said, notice verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, I suffered the loss of all things. And he said, I count them as rubbish. Some translations say dung. We would say poop or other words that we wouldn't say. He said, for me to gain and to know and to walk in this, I'm having to count things as rubbish. And like I said before, battles come in this area where you've got to consider that some things that will come in your life, you're going to have to consider them lost. James, the first chapter, and the 12th verse says it like this. He talks about temptation coming. And in the 12th verse, and he talks about people being tempted and how they're drawn away. And it says, of their own desires. See, because there's things that come in your life that are literal desires that will seem to be good. And they're not. And so we need to recognize we have to know that there are going to be desires that are going to pop up in our lives and we're going to have to count them as rubbish. What things? Things that rob us from walking with God. And here's the thing I've learned over all these years. God will deal with you if you're saved. You don't have to set a bunch of rules. God will deal with you. You'll just know. And when you know, what do you do? You apply the principles that Paul applied and you count them rubbish. Because how many people have set plans for their own life? I'm going to go here. I'm going to retire in Central America. I'm going to do this. They have no room in their life for what God would want. They haven't considered, if I move here, is there a good church? 
I've had people do that, and they say, well, what do you think? Well, I'm not going to tell you don't move or to move, but one thing I will do is say, if you're going to move, go find out, is there a good church there that's worth, you know, a raise or not a raise? Because some people say, well, I can go there and get more money. Yeah, but you can go there and get more money, and there may not be a good church. Oh, well, there's a bunch of churches. I've had people tell me later, oh, I wish we wouldn't have done this. You know how much it costs to move? And so it's hard to move back. Or move somewhere else where you know there's a good church. Because that's vital. Because it is something for us. But then he's saying, I count. I consider. And he said, and I count them all rubbish. So that's something we have to do. You're going to have to count some things rubbish or not as quality as what you get in the Lord. So he said, I would spend time with the Lord, but... I got a program I got to watch at 7. Then 7.30, there's another one. At 8 o'clock, I got a 30-minute break, so that's when I do laundry. Then 8.30, you know, starts the other one, so I'm sorry. You need to count some of that rubbish and maybe not the laundry. Okay, then we'll just have dirty laundry. No, maybe count one of the show's rubbish. Because here's the thing, otherwise you're magnifying those thinking they're more valuable than the things of God. And it might be okay to watch the show, but don't let it rob you of serving God. And don't make excuses. Here's one that you've got to be careful of. Man, do we have to. Well, everybody else does this. Yeah, but everybody else may be in a battle internally too. Going, should I do this? You with me? Or maybe there is no battle. Maybe they've never even come to that first consideration of counting all the things of this world as rubbish to gain Christ. And so it's very important not to compare yourself. And so it goes on to say in verse 9, and he said, that I may know Christ and may gain Christ. And notice it goes on to say, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, or doing all those good deeds, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In other words, we get in good standing with God through our faith, but I'm not going to touch on that today. Notice this, verse 10, that I may, this is the result, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. So somehow gaining that knowledge is going to help him to know the power of God. Well, doesn't Romans, the first chapter, say that the gospel is the power of God? So when he's counting it lost, he's not just gaining information. He's gaining something that's inherently endued with power. It's inherently endued with life, divine ability. And he said, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship or the interaction of his sufferings, and be conformed to his death. Well, he talks about that death. What, what is he talking about being conformed to his death? Well, later on, he talked about the mindset you need, the mindset Christ had. What was the mindset Christ had in the second chapter? He didn't live after his own way. He humbled himself and followed after God's plan. That's being conformed to his death. Goes on to say, If by any means 
I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or have achieved it. Now, he has eternal life. He said, or am already perfected or matured or completely developed. He said, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't experienced this resurrection yet. He, he had the life. He's walking with God. He said, I'm not completely, fully mature yet. But notice this phrase right here, and it goes along with that mentality he had of counting. He said this. He said, not that I've already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Notice that phrase. He said, and he told us, he said, I've counted all things lost and now I have Christ. That's what happens when you get saved. Not only do you have Christ, but he lays hold of you. He lays hold of your life. And so now he said, here's what I want. And this is what I'm doing by counting things lost and pursuing. He said, now I'm laying hold of the very purposes for which Christ has laid a hold of me. When I got saved, divine destiny came into my life. Now I'm working to live that out. It's not a future event that, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, it's some big destiny thing we're looking to, and they wait their whole life for the destiny. No, it's not a destination. It's a process of life that brings you into God's plan and causes you to fulfill God's plan and do his ways in life. He said this, Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't completed or fully arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And this is all connected to the one thing. Here's what you're going to need to do. Once you count things lost, you're going to need to forget some things. You're going to need to do what it takes to forget. Don't keep entertaining the past. Don't keep dwelling on the past. I've met people who were miserable in their past, did, did all kinds of stuff, and for some reason, at some point, the enemy started throwing stuff in and said, well, you know, remember how fun it was when you did that? Remember how fun it was when you did that? He doesn't remind you of the bad and the miserableness you lived in. He just said, remember how fun that was? And you're like, yeah, and you start remembering. You need to forget it. Because that's why you left it. If it was so fun, you wouldn't have left. And he said this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or become complete or all the way in this journey. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. If you find yourself pondering things of the past, quit it. Quit it. Just, just move away from it. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, he said, reaching and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. How do you reach forward to the things that are ahead? You just have to know they're there. That's going to be through that knowledge. That's through that knowledge. And then he said this, I press toward the goal. In other words, I just keep on with my life doing the things I know are right. I press toward the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he said this, therefore, let us as many as are mature or developing have this mindset. What mindset? Forgetting the past. 
I need to think like I need to go on. I need to count things lost. If I'm developing in God, I have this mindset. No to this, no to that. I just got to pay the, I just got to keep moving. I got to keep going. If I messed up, forget it. I need to keep that mindset. Let it be behind, not in my future. And then it goes on to say, when he said here, he said, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if there is anything, uh, anything you think otherwise. In other words, if you're starting to get off in your thinking, I love this. Because he said, have this mindset. But if you start getting off in your thinking and you don't even recognize it, he said, God will reveal even this to you. Why? Because God is all about you fulfilling the plan, the destiny that God has for you. So even in your best interests, when you go, man, I need to do this. I need to head this way. I've counted it lost. Hey, if you've given your life to the Lord and you think, hey, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And if you're not, and maybe you're starting to miss it, he'll start dealing with you. Anybody ever been dealt with? What for? Because he wants you to be able to accomplish and be fulfilled in this life and live the best and have the most, not just here, but on the other side. Because we only get one shot at this. I don't know if you know that. And lives matter. And here's the thing. Somebody said, well, my life matters. Yes, your life does. But a lot of people don't realize that if you're a stone that gets thrown into a lake, there's always a ripple effect. And God doesn't just look at you as a stone because the Bible said we're living stones built up. But he looks at the ripple effect too. Sometimes we don't always look at the ripple effect of our individual lives. And sometimes, you know, we think, well, it doesn't really matter. No, these are principles by which we live by, but they have a huge ripple effect. What if I've counted something lost and there's somebody else who needs to count that loss too and they've been around me and they're being tempted and now I'm counting it lost and they're like, hey, you want to do this? And you're like, no, I quit doing that. They're like, you know, I've been wanting to not do this either. And now there's a ripple effect into their life. And then all of a sudden you guys join forces and you're like, yeah. And then somebody else comes to you guys and say, hey, you want to do this? And you're like, no. We've counted it lost. We're serving the Lord. We're going after him. They're like, you know, I've wanted to change my life for a long time. I'd like to know about this because lives have a ripple effect. That's the disadvantage of somebody waiting till the end to really make a consecration for their life. The ripples don't travel out as far. You can always have a ripple effect. But if it's the more life you have, the more ripple effect you can have. Somebody said, well, mine are little ripples. They can make big boats move too. And if there's a bunch of rocks hitting, you know, have you ever seen those things with hailstorms, you know, where they have big hailstorms and they start hitting and you get one, it's a little splash, but you get a bunch of them doing it, it can disrupt whole areas. It can tear things apart. What if we all counted? What if we all did this, had our own ripple effect, 
And somebody said, well, my ripple effect has only affected one person or one person. But the fact of the matter is if one person and 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 all the people over started doing this, you know what kind of ripple effect that would be? It'd become massive. So your little part may not be that little. As a matter of fact, a lot of little parts can make a huge difference. Somebody said, okay, well, then I'll make sure they're doing it. No, you just do yours. Let them do theirs, and we'll all create a little ripple, and away you go. And you know what that will do to this area? And that's God's desire for us to do that as a church and for other people to do that in other churches so that our ripple effect changes this. I mean this country. I don't believe God has a destination that this country should be tore apart. But if you get enough ripple effect of the right thing, that could be good. And here's the thing, it'll even benefit you.